The Atlanta Braves avoid getting swept by the Arizona Diamondbacks on Thursday thanks to a huge game from Austin Riley. It's a big series from Austin Riley. We'll discuss that and also answer all of your mailbag questions, including what is the price for Shohei Otani? We'll discuss that on today's episode of Locked On Braves. So let's get into it. You are Locked On Braves, your daily Atlanta Braves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hey, and welcome back to Lockdown Braves, part of Lockdown Sports Atlanta, where we cover your favorite Atlanta sports teams each and every day. I am your host, Jake Mastriani, and you can follow me on Twitter at shorts.ball. Also, make sure you check out my written work over at bravestoday.com. Make sure you follow the podcast on Twitter at lockdown underscore braves. Send in any questions, comments, or feedback that you have for the podcast. I'll be answering all of your mailbag questions today that's were submitted on Twitter. We'll do that on today's Mailbag Friday episode. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. Also, hit that thumbs up button on this video to help support this show, this podcast. Thank you so much. For all support that you give me, making Lockdown Braves your first listen of each and every day. On today's episode, we'll briefly touch on the Diamondbacks series and Thursday's game, a wild game. Braves come back to win it and avoid the sweep, but mostly be answering your mailbag questions, which a wide range of questions on today's episode. We'll be covering all of that, but talking about trade, talking about Spencer Strider, what to do with Kyle Wright, Michael Soroka in the rotation. We'll discuss all of that. But I want to briefly touch on the Diamondbacks series and a wild series that it was. You want to hear a more in-depth you know, review of each game, make sure that you check out the postcast with me and Grant McCauley. You can get the video version of it over on Locked On Sports Atlanta on YouTube, or you get the audio version of it in the Locked On Braves podcast feed. But what a wild series. I mean, the first game, 16-13 to 13 loss for the Braves. That one, strictly the Braves were, you know, the errors cost them that one for sure. Second game, Braves just got got beat. The offense didn't show up. They had four hits, all extra base hits, but nothing in between there. And a couple of you know ill-timed walks for Charlie Morton that led to some runs, a bunch of two-out runs for the Diamondbacks. Braves just lost game two. In game three, Spencer Strider was dominating. I mean, it was it was one of those times earlier in the game, which happens a lot with Spencer Strider, where I'm thinking, okay, is this the game? He's going to strike out 20 because I feel like he's going to do it or come really close to it at some point. Maybe he already has with his 16 strikeout performance last year. But it just you get those feelings sometimes with Spencer Strider when he's in the zone where you think, okay, maybe he's going to hit the 20 strikeout mark. And it certainly felt like it in this one early on. I mean, just breezing through six innings and Zach Gallon as well. Although the Braves had a lot of hard contact against Zach Gallon, they just weren't having much luck with batted balls. But, you know, he had a perfect game going through five innings. So this was a pitcher's duel, like many thought it would be, with Strider and Gallon on the mound. And then I don't know what happened. In the sixth inning, you know, RC gets a solo home run off Gallon to break up the perfect game, give the Braves the lead. And at that point, I thought, okay, one run might be good enough with the way that Spencer Strider's pitching today. You know, if he can give the Braves some length, go into the, the sixth, seventh, eighth inning maybe, and with the way that he was going, it felt like that might be enough. And then the Diamondbacks respond with four runs in the top of the seven, and Strider can't even get an out. He walks Corbin Carroll, which he just cannot do, which leads to a stolen base, and then he gets ahead of Christian Walker 0-2 and then hits him with a pitch and puts runners on first and second, and then Dominic Canzone gets a fastball up and in 
and he's able to pull it just over the field or over the wall in right field. And next thing you know, Spencer Strider's giving up a three spot, and the Braves are down three to one. He has another home run to the next batter, and it's four to one Diamondbacks, just like that. And Spencer Strider's great dominant outing has suddenly turned into more of a, a, a mediocre outing in terms of runs given up. So strange line for Spencer Strider. We're going to talk more about him. We've got a couple of questions about him, but just a really weird outing where he is dominating for six innings. And I don't want to make excuses for him, and I know he won't either. It was maybe the hottest game of the year. Um, I know where I am in Birmingham, one of the hottest days of the year that we've had here, and it looked like it was the same there, uh, an afternoon game in Atlanta. Perhaps Snicker let him out there a little too long, but again, he was cruising through six innings. There were no signs of him needing to come out, but it just felt like, again, I don't know if there's an excuse or not, that maybe a heat finally caught up to him and he uh, just kind of wore down there. But either way, just really, really weird. I mean, he was he was dominating for six innings, and it just fell apart. Riley comes to the rescue in this one. First, you had Matt Olson, his first two home runs of the game, got the Braves back in. It made it four to three. And then Austin Riley came up with the big uh, three-run homer later in the game to give the Braves a six to five lead. And then Olson added with his second homer of the day to make it seven to five. Austin Riley in this series homered in every game, had four home runs in the series. You know, that was one of the big things going into the break. A lot of you were asking me, when's Austin Riley going to get going? Well, he certainly did in this series. Hopefully that continues into the second half. He has a big second half and becomes that number three hitter. You know, everybody talking about need to move Riley out of that three hole. And look, I said a while ago, I think he probably should have been. But when he gets hot and we know he's capable of that, he certainly is one of the more dangerous hitters in this lineup. And again, hopefully this is the beginning of him getting on a good roll here in the second half. Still gained ground in the NL East. The Braves have lost the past two series, but they've still gained ground in the NL East thanks to the Marlins on a big slide right now. The Phillies have played better, but they were already further back. So the Braves now have a 10.5 game lead over the Phillies and the Marlins in the NL East. So despite the Braves' you know, lack of good play coming out of the break, some miscues they've had on defense, they've still managed to gain ground in the division, by far have the biggest division lead of any team in baseball. All right, I'm going to move quickly into your questions here because we got a lot of them to get to. Georgia Sports Highlight says, are there any relievers that you want the Braves to acquire at the trade deadline? Yes, I would like to see them get at least two dominant setup type relievers. We talked a lot about this on Tuesday's podcast. You want to go back and give that a listen. For me, if Josh Hader's available, I think he makes the most sense. He is a closer. He is left-handed, which I think the Braves could use another left-handed arm. Uh, especially we don't really know the status of Dylan Lee. Both he and A.J. Minter are injured right now, your two best lefties in the bullpen. So I think Hayter would make a lot of sense, you know, depending on what the cost. I'm sure it would be a lot. I think Jordan Hicks from the Cardinals makes sense as maybe a cheaper option, but somebody who has the potential to be a dominant reliever. That walk rate does concern me, but he has big strikeout stuff. I don't think Bednar is available, but he would be a great fit. I like Barlow from Scott Barlow from Kansas City as well. I wrote an article about this on Braves today earlier in the week. You want to go and check it out. But he's got really good numbers. I don't think he would cost too much. He has another year of control, and I think he'd be a solid setup guy. Nate Williamson says, would Freed, Ian, A.J. Smith-Shawver, Nacho get an Otani deal done? First of all, I don't know why you would give up Max Freed, uh, you got another year of control of Max Freed, who's a top of the rotation pitcher. So I wouldn't include that in the deal. And I still don't know if that gets it done. Look, here's a problem with Otani. 
how do you value somebody who is one of the best hitters in the game and is one of the best pitchers in the game? You're essentially trading for two players, and both of those players are Cy Young MVP type candidate players. How do you value that? How do you quantify that if you're the Angels perspective? You're I know it's just a rental, so I guess the asking price can't be too high, but I don't know how you put a value on somebody who is essentially two players and both of those players are MVP Cy Young caliber. It's just something we've never seen before. So I don't know what the price is for that. Even for just two months of that, I would imagine it's still a pretty huge price, but I don't still don't think that package gets it done. And first of all, I wouldn't put Freed in that package. That doesn't make sense to me from a Braves perspective, but just looking at a prospect, you know, certain prospects, if you put in the Braves, you know, top five prospects, you put in A.J. Smith-Shawver, Owen Murphy, J.R. Ritchie, you want to put in Ignacio Alvarez, um, Cole Phillips, Spencer Swellenbach, whoever you want to. I just, again, I don't know how you quantify the value of Shohei Otani. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if he gets moved. I know the Angels just swept the Yankees, so they've given themselves a little bit of hope, but certainly going to be a big talking point here at the deadline. I don't think the Braves have a prospect package that would get Otani. Um, you know, wanted to make that point clear. You would have to trade from the major league roster, which I guess is why you put Max Freed in there. Maybe if you think you're not going to get him back, but I don't understand that from the Angels' perspective because you're doing a rebuild. Um, why would you trade for a guy who only has one more year of control unless you thought you were going to be able to sign Max Freed? But uh, again, I don't know that putting Freed in the deal makes sense. I think if the Angels were going to do that, they'd probably want like a Michael Harris. They'd want some, you know, a young player with a lot of years of control still left. So uh, again, I, I think it'd be a tough matchup for the Braves. I definitely don't see it happening, but I don't see the Braves having the right pieces to, to get a deal done like that. Jesse Cy Young Chavez says, what is Strider doing wrong to cause him falling apart at times? This is a simple answer, but it's fastball command. And I think hitters are also starting to sell out for the fastball a little bit more. Still doesn't make it that much easier to hit, but it seems like, and I liked what he did a lot in the game yesterday early on. He started going to the slider early in counts to get hitters off that fastball because too many times this year, I've seen him going to the fastball early in counts and hitters trying to ambush that and just guess fastball and they've been able to square it up a couple of times. So I love the fact that you know, it's hard to work backwards. You only got two pitches. You know you're only getting you're either getting a fastball or a slider, but I like the idea of going with the slider to start off at bat sometimes, getting hitters off that fastball because while it is still upper 90s, it has a lot of run. If you're you're not locating locating it, you're keeping it in your belt or thigh level, it's going to get hit pretty hard. And I've seen we've seen that happen too much. For Spencer Strider this year, his four-seam fastball has a negative one run value this year, as opposed to last year, it was a plus 20 run value pitch for him. So the fastball just overall hasn't been nearly as effective. Bat batters are hitting 262 against his fastball this year with a 457 expected slugging percentage. Last year, those numbers were 201 and 336. So they're having a lot more success off his fastball this season they're also getting it in the air more leading to more home runs he's allowed 16 home runs this year compared to seven last year and that was in 15 more innings last year he gave up that many fewer home runs so for me it's all about fastball fastball command 
being able to get it up in the zone, being able to get hitters to come off that fastball by using that slider early in counts. Again, when he's going great, he doesn't need the changeup. You even look at yesterday's outing, and maybe he should have mixed it in a little bit more in that seventh inning, but he was so dominant. He only threw four changeups in Thursday's game. He was so dominant with just a fastball and slider, he didn't really need the changeup. But I think maybe you do have to start incorporating it a little bit more to get hitters off that fastball because, again, if hitters know a fastball is coming, even one as good as Spencer Strider's, and they're sitting on it and they're they're cheating to it, they're going to be able to get to it. And I think we've just seen that happen a little too off, too often this year compared to last season. And when it's happened, it's usually been for a lot of damage. Again, a lot more home runs this season. Kaz Buckeye says, I'm including guys at very different stages of development here, which definitely makes this tough to answer. But how would you rank the futures of Ambioris Tavares, Nacho Alvarez, Luis Guanipa, and Vaughn Grissom? So it's a great question here. Maybe should have saved this one for Miners Monday. But just looking in terms of upside and – you know, it's always going to be – you're always going to be more excited about the guys you haven't really seen. We've seen Von Grissom. We've seen a little bit of Nacho Alvarez. We've now seen a little bit of Ambioris Tavares. But I would still probably put Luis Guanipa at the top of this list just – you know, and I haven't even really seen him with my eyes yet. But, again, it's just what you can kind of speculate and dream on with a kid who has, you know, five-tool potential – I'd probably go Nacho Alvarez second on this list just because I think the hit tool is going to be there, the plate discipline. If the power comes, he keeps playing shortstop. Again, I haven't seen enough of him defensively to really speculate on how good he is defensively at shortstop. He doesn't look overly athletic to me when I do watch him play, but if he can stick at the shortstop position and be adequate there, that makes his upside even higher. But just the hit tool alone, I'd put him second on this list in terms of upside. As bad as it's been for Ambiores Tavares this year, I'd probably still put him third just because of the loud tools. He is somebody that I have watched a little bit defensively, and the actions there look really good. If the hit tool ever comes around, you know, I think he's going to have a lot of upside, but it's still a huge question mark. I hate to put Von Grissom fourth on this list because I do love Von Grissom, and I think the hit tool is really loud, but he doesn't have a defensive home right now at the moment that you can, you know, clearly definitively say he can play here and he can play here in above average level but I put him fourth and again I think this is partly because we've seen him a little bit at the at the higher level so we kind of have a better idea of what he looks like and you can more so dream on those guys you haven't seen yet it's probably why my bias has shifted a little bit with some of these guys but I am really excited to see Luis Guanipa I hope we get to see him in Augusta at some point this year uh, if not really looking forward to seeing that next year Ambioris Tavares been a rough year for him offensively but again the tools are there if he can put things together at the plate and you know how much I love Nacho Alvarez so I don't want this to be a knock on Von Grissom who I've said all along I hope the Braves can keep in the system because I think he's valuable and I think that bat will play but in terms of just pure upside and talent I think the other three guys mentioned here have more upside to them to be you know everyday players potential all-star type level players got a lot more questions to get to may not get to all of them today including some about michael soroka kyle wright what is the plan for those two guys we'll discuss that next
For a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time your parts need need accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part fits just right the first time around. I am not making this the perfect read for eBay. I apologize. But just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know the part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride eBay guaranteed fit only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Braves hit the road this weekend to face the NL Central leading Milwaukee Brewers starting on Friday night at 8.10 p.m. Eastern. Catch every pitch of the Braves' hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Search Braves. All right, getting back into our questions here, Large Lars says, how will they roll with Elder? How long will they roll with Elder if he doesn't turn it around? How quickly we are turning on Bryce Elder here after having a 21-22 game stretch where he went at least five innings and was really good in all of them and now he's had a couple of clunkers here and we're trying to boost him out of the the rotation I think that's a little unfair for Bryce Selder but at the same time who are you going to replace him with and you know the rotation right now is already banged up enough it's at the point where Alan Winans no you know no disrespect to him he certainly has earned this opportunity but we're going to Allen Winans because Jared Schuster has proved ineffective. Dylan Dodd has proved ineffective. A.J. smith Shawbert's had some issues since getting sitting back down. Colby Allard's injured. Obviously, Max Reed, Kyle Wright is injured. The Braves have had to dig pretty deep into their arsenal. I believe somebody on Twitter, apologize, I don't remember the name, but uh, said that this is going to be the 12th starter the Braves have used this year after they used 11 last year. So, the Braves have had to go through a number of starters this season. I think Elder's got a pretty long leash here. The Braves are going to give him a while to figure things out. And again, he had such a long stretch of proving he could get it done. I think he's going to get back there. Bellfire, most seem concerned about pitching, but my biggest worry is the team's tendency to go for a stretch of games with a host of mental errors and bad defense. Mistakes get magnified in the postseason, and this could easily get us beat. Is there a, any way to improve these mid-season? So, no. <laughs> I mean, other than just continuing to work on things like they always do, they always obviously infielders do the wash work before every game. There's no real way to you know just drastically improve things defensively mid-season because that would take player upgrades. And the Braves rank 22nd in Major League Baseball and outs above average minus 10. It's not the perfect stat, but uh, does kind of give you an idea of where the Braves rank as a team defensively. You look at fielding run value, only Sean Murphy, Michael Harris, and Orlando Arcia are positives, which is great because when you look at defense, you typically look at up-the-middle defense is where you want to be strong, and the Braves are there. They're strong at catcher, they're strong at shortstop, they're strong at center field, and Ozzie Albies has gotten better as the season has gone along. He's a minus-one fielding run value, and so is Ron Acuna Jr. Riley is actually at a zero so again, there are solid, <clears throat> excuse me, there are solid pieces there. There are solid defenders, but I think, and I think they've gotten better as the season has gone along. They made a lot of mistakes early, especially in that month of May where it was just 
you know, mediocre baseball, kind of like what they've been playing since the all-star break. They're just, there were a lot of those lapses defensively, you know, during this hot stretch they've been on it. Maybe they haven't been magnified as much because the offense has been so good, but it, the defense does worry me a little bit. And even as good as Arcia has been, I worry about his lack of range at times. He's made a couple of mistakes here lately. So again, it, it does worry me some, and you just hope that the, the offense can kind of overcome that. Uh, you look at Eddie Rosario the other day, all the errors he made in left field, and then he came out and hit a, a home run. Uh, didn't make up for all the errors he made in that game, but that's just the way this team is is kind of built. You kind of have to live with some of the deficiencies on defense because the players are so good on offense that it's ultimately going to overcome some of those miscues. But uh, no, I agree with you. I think that is something that maybe worries me the most, especially if the rotation gets completely healthy. Then I would say one of the weaknesses is the Braves defense going into a postseason series. So just got to hope that, that they can get better, that hopefully as the games intensify, that their focus intensity level takes a notch up as well. Uh, but I am a little bit worried about the Braves defensively. Big Dog Fan 73, do you see Kyle Wright or Soroka moving to the pin for the stretch run? I don't for the stretch run. I think if those guys are healthy, then they're in the rotation. They can, I can maybe see them doing it with Soroka if they wanted to limit his innings a little bit. I can maybe see them doing that like they did uh, the other day after the All-Star break. They brought him in for a relief appearance there. But I just don't see that. I don't see that as a, you know, a real fix for the bullpen necessarily. Uh, there's already a lot of bullpen arms out there that I think are solid, can get the job done. I don't think Soroka or Wright would necessarily be an upgrade over that. Again, I would only see it, and you already have options with Soroka. So if you wanted to continue to give him an opportunity to work things out as a starter and Wright comes back, I could see them just sending him back down to AAA, um, you know, to continue to, to start there and get his legs back under him. In the postseason, I could more so see this them either of them being included on a postseason roster as those long reliever type guys. You know, somebody leaves early, hopefully it doesn't happen again. But if Charlie Morton breaks a leg in the second, third inning, whatever, uh, you know, I could see them having a Kyle Ryder, Michael Soroka on the roster to come in and kind of bridge that gap. Or if somebody just doesn't have it, you know, Bryce Elder starts a game and you can just see early on he he doesn't have it. Those sinkers not working or the balls in play or are finding holes, then maybe you do switch to a right or a Soroka to cover those innings. So I can more so see it on a postseason roster than I can for the stretch run of the regular season. Bellfire, assuming everyone is healthy aside from Kyle Wright, who's your current playoff starting three and four in your current daily lineup? So right now, assuming everybody's healthy, essentially assuming every uh, Max Freed is healthy. I know you said aside from Kyle Wright, so we're assuming no Kyle Wright here. For me, it's still Freed and Strider as your clear one and two, whatever order you want to put them in. I still have Charlie Morton as a clear number three starter, but just because of his dominant type stuff. And I still have Bryce Elder as my number four right now that I would go to in a postseason series, assuming Kyle Wright is not healthy. If Kyle Wright comes back in September, proves he's healthy, proves he's the Kyle Wright from last year, then I could see putting him in that four spot over Bryce Elder. But again, we're assuming Kyle Wright's not back, so I still would have Elder in that fourth spot in the rotation. As far as the lineup goes, I wouldn't deviate too much from what it is now. I'd still go Ronnie, Ozzy, Riley, Olsen, Murphy. That's your clear top five for a postseason roster. And then I'd go with your DH, either 
Ozuna, Rosario, or Travis Darno, Arcia at shortstop. And then I'm actually leaning toward, I think there's another question about this, but I'm leaning toward just putting Pilar in left field and batting him eighth and having the defensive upside out there. You put Pilar out there and suddenly that outfield defense looks so much better, especially after facing the Diamondbacks and seeing how good they were defensively. I mean, anything hit in the outfield, it was either caught or they made a great play, you know, off the wall to get it back in, to hold the Braves, keep the Braves from getting an extra base. It was just such good outfield defense. It made me wish that the Braves had that all across the board. You put Pilar out there and suddenly you do, and then you bat him eighth in the lineup. And I think you kind of take what you get from him there. And then I like having Michael Harris in that nine spot, just because I love having him and Ronnie back to back in the order so that probably would be my lineup right now. Kaz Buckeye says, with Ozuna having cooled off a bit, could you envision a playoff lineup that has Pilar in left field, Eddie and Travis splitting the DH load, and Ozuna available as a bench bat? Other reason this makes sense is you want Murphy and his arm catching as much as possible in October. So this is kind of what I was alluding to a second ago. Yes, I'm starting to lean more towards just starting Kevin Pilar in left field, having the defense, maybe even at the deadline, you trade you trade for an outfielder that you know is much better defensively in left field and maybe a little bit better bat than Pilar, although he's been you know pretty solid when he's gotten opportunities, especially against lefties. So I'm already kind of leaning towards that idea of just putting Pilar in left field and then platooning the DH spot with Ozuna, Rosario. And in the postseason, maybe even just putting Travis Darno in there because, like you said, I think in the postseason, I think you got to catch Murphy every day. It's such a big difference when Murphy is back there opposed to TDA. Teams are just going to run on Travis all day long. So I think Murphy has to catch every game in the postseason, which would then make sense to use Travis Darno in the DH. I just don't think you can leave that bat on the bench in the postseason like that. All right, I got a lot of other questions here. Probably going to do a bonus episode for either Saturday or Sunday and include some of those questions in that. So look out for the rest of those questions to be answered then. But I did want to get into uh, Friday's game where you got Michael Soroka taking them out against Freddie Peralta. Also have Max Fried starting on Friday as well in a rehab game. Maybe his final one. We'll discuss that more here next. Max Freed was scheduled to start in Gwinnett on Thursday, but that game got rained out, so he will likely be starting one of the games on Friday. And then after that, we could see his next start with the Atlanta Braves. They have a couple of off days next week, but uh, this, the plan was for Max Freed to throw 60, 70 pitches, hopefully get through five innings in this rehab start. If he does that, I can't imagine, and he looks good and feels good, I can't imagine his next start wouldn't come in Atlanta, especially with the way the rotation is right now and them needing to fill a spot. So uh, be on the lookout for that on Friday, Max Freed's next rehab start. They've already said that Alan Winans will be called up to start the game on Saturday. Really excited for him. He has done everything he possibly can do at AAA this year to deserve to show he deserves an opportunity. So really happy for him and looking forward to that start. On Friday, though, it'll be Michael Soroka versus Freddie Peralta. For Soroka, his last three outings, one of them a relief appearance, 13 and two-thirds innings. He has given up 14 hits, just three walks and five earned runs, though, in 14 strikeouts. So starting to look a little bit better, get a little bit more comfortable. Hopefully this is another step in the right direction. For me, the, the, the key for Soroka since he's come back up is getting that sinker down. Again, I've said it just about every time, that sinker is staying up. It's losing the effectiveness 
on it when it stays up in the zone. He's got to get that sinker down. And then I think he, you know, can obviously get back to being a really effective starting pitcher. So excited to see him get back out there again. Hopefully continue to get back to the Michael Soroka that we're accustomed to seeing. For Freddie Peralta, he has the opportunity to go out there and be dominant. He doesn't typically go very long in games, usually doesn't go more than five or six hittings, but he's gone at least five innings in his last eight starts and allowed three earned or less. He has also walked at least two batters in each of those starts, and he's given up six home runs over that span, so he is a little susceptible to the walks and the home runs. His last seven games, a 4.06 ERA, but just a 1.01 whip and 52 strikeouts in 37 and two-thirds innings, only 23 hits allowed. So like I said, he has the stuff to go out there and be a dominant type of pitcher. Really good slider, really big whiff rate on that slider, so you got to watch out for that. But should be a good pitching matchup. Fun series for the Milwaukee Brewers. They've been playing really good baseball here lately, so looking forward to watching that one over the weekend. Again, it's the Braves against the Brewers on Friday night in Milwaukee at 8.10 p.m. Eastern. It's Michael Soroka versus Freddie Peralta. Catch every pitch of the Braves' hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Search Braves. That will do it for this episode of Lockdown Braves. Thanks so much for making us your first listen of each and every day. Make sure you follow the podcast on Twitter at Lockdown underscore Braves. You can follow me at Shortstop Ball. Also, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe to the Lockdown Braves podcast wherever you get your podcast. And we will talk to you next time. Hey, this is Stacey Gotsoulias. DC Lundberg. Ryan Finkelstein. Taylor Blake Ward. Host of Locked On Yankees. Locked On Mariners. Locked On Mets. Locked On Angels. And you're listening to Locked On Braves. Locked On Braves. Locked On Braves. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. 